Hello and welcome to episode 297 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Belton. And I'm Kevin. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Usually I play. I couldn't, uh, you were really quiet before we started, and then I didn't realize you weren't talking to the microphone, and it got so oh. loud <laughs> that I was disoriented. Oh my god. That happens a I'm, lot. I'm Tristan Carcino. <laughs> and we are coming to you, is as evident from that, in different locations once again. Oh I'm in god. Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. And as we'll be discussing soon, no longer Ken Norton Jr. as defensive coordinator. Uh, but I think we have to get to our beer of the week first. Yeah, it's a semi-emergency pod as we talk about this breaking news reported by Bob Condota and Adam Judah, the Seattle Times on Monday night. But uh, as you mentioned, this week's beer, I was uh, at Beer Star the other day because I was going to Lil Woody's to check out the the Cookies Country Chicken Times Lil Woody's collab, which sadly today was the last day you could get it. So I don't want to tell you Jan's review of this. Oh, I well, I heard a review. She called me two times to tell me how awful <laughs> she got it. I, because I was the one who brought it to her. It was, it, she was so offended by it. It was not one, but two phone calls. I was worried there was going to be a third today. Oh my God. I mean, it was certainly, it's, it's not like a chicken breast. It's like, uh, you know, I described it to you as it's kind of, I mean, they call it the cafeteria sandwich. And I described it to you as kind of like the patty on a chicken sandwich that you'd freeze out of the microwave, but still delicious. I very much enjoyed it along with the tater tots, which make the tater tots full time. Little woodies. Let's do it. But anyways, there'll be there'll be plenty more little woodies ahead because we are nearing burger. Month. Hello. I, I, for the record, at little woodies, if we're talking to little woodies, do not want tater tots to be full time. I the word tater tot to me doesn't sound right. In my head, I'm just like they're Mexi fries, but <laughs> those are totally different. Totally different. They're not special if they're full time. I I just want to eat them all the time. So do, I, you, do you want to know an opinion I recently changed? What's that? Aside from every single opinion on this podcast. Well, <laughs> I, we're gonna get I, into that later. I like that you coined the term hashtag all takes Tristan. <laughs> just cover every single side i said of the every takes tristan I every, was... every takes i think all takes tristan that's it <laughs> i recently i think changed my perspective on curly fries to to anti to pro i was previously, previously anti i honestly after having you know i as one this is, does this is because of barbies as one does, uh, New Year's Eve, people were talking about Arby's, and I was like, fuck, I need some Arby's. It's been too long, right? It, I need it, some Arby's yeah. in my life. Uh, we were picking up Jan's mail because she wasn't able to pick up her mail. Right there is the sheet of the, like, nine Arby's coupons, same as it was in the but year 2000. She's also upset about that. The, the whole world has changed in the last two-plus decades. Arby's has not changed. No, but it's like it's like the, CBS. The, when you tune into CBS, you're just like, wow, I haven't watched CBS since everybody loves Raymond. CBS is the same. You're different, but CBS is the same. Same for Arby's. The only thing that's different, though, 
is all of a sudden I found out I'm way in on curly fries. I mean, first off, the menu has changed dramatically at our base. They have new stuff all the time. I wouldn't describe it that way. It's not exactly like seeing the promos during a playoff game because you happen to be watching the commercials in CBS and being like, oh, that's interesting. That's what Thomas Middletich is up to these days. <laughs> or NCIS wherever. <laughs> I love that every CBS show, when you watch an ad for the CBS show, like it might be a totally new CBS show, but you know it's a CBS show because they're all shot precisely the same. That's correct. That's like, that's like what the CBS crowd is looking for. They're like, I want slightly, I don't even know if they even want slightly different things. They want, they want it to look a little bit different, but also exactly the same as every single CBS show since the first CSI premiered, right? They're different locations, but it's the same show, yes. But the way it's shot, you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, what channel is this on Fox? Oh, no, it's on CBS. So every once in a while, they'll do that, that internet thing of like, choose, you know, two got to go or whatever. Like pick your top four of styles of fries. And I'm, in, I'm like in on every style of fry. I'm in on waffle fries. I'm in on curly fries. I'm in on tater tots. I'm in on sweet potato fries. If it's if it's fried, I'm I'm in. It's it's made from potatoes. I'm in on it. Wow, Kevin McPelton over here. Um, the I I agree though. I I agree wholeheartedly. Potatoes are just great, and frying potatoes it's a phenomenal way to eat them. We're gonna have to bring on Nate Duncan to promote his new food podcast, arguing about food with his sister. It's very Pelton castish. I gotta yeah. say. Hashtag, I've got three words for Nate Duncan. That is cease and desist, right? <laughs> we invented the model. I believe that's four words. <laughs> so anyways, before oh the Arby's and the CVS tangents, it was a tangent within a tangent. Oh. We were talking about me going to Lawoodies and stopping at Beer Star next door in downtown White Center and seeing as I went through their offerings, the Danger Zone Hazy IPA from Backwoods Brewing Company, part of their Venture of Horth series. And uh, any, any Top Gun themed beers you want to produce, I'm going to wow. purchase and I'm going to drink those beers. Wow. Challenge accepted. The description, while brewing this hazy IPA, we pushed the limits of our comfort zone and took the highway to the danger zone by using Quake yeast, which ferments at a higher than normal temperature. We followed that with a huge dry hop, which gives notes of coconut, orange, pineapple, and berries. So excited to drink about this as we talk about the Seahawks offs. You're excited to drink about this? Is that what about this? <laughs> what? <laughs> I glitched there. <laughs> drink about this? Can we talk about Jan? I, I swear to God, I I was this close to saying that we needed to have Jan on. Maybe just conversations with her or an emergency pod this last week. What what in particular triggered that uh, opinion? Uh, that when Jan was diagnosed with COVID, literally the first conversation, which get well soon, Jan. Um, the first... I mean... First off, a toast to boosters and to vaccinations yes. because mom has merely had cold symptoms, which is, you know, quite a relief compared to certainly this time a year ago and, and many times during this pandemic. Literally the first conversation we had about it, she goes, well, guess what? It was in <laughs> true Jan fashion. She was like, very casual about the whole thing. No, I, I swear to God for her, like 
the idea of snow coming in the forecast was so much more terrifying. I was like, Jan, how are you not more more concerned about this? It's like there's a, a one flake of snow in the forecast and you're panicked for weeks. But but this she was very, very zen about, I will say. And the first thing that she mentioned to me was she was like, I just want to let you know if something happens. <laughs> oh, no, you can't see you're not supposed to say this. I won't say where they are. I just want to let you know if anything happens where the gift cards are. <laughs> Not anything else. That is it. Jan will literally haunt us if she were to die and we do not go and spend all of the money at Cheesecake Factory. That is it. We are talking about like groundbreaking. You know, people talk about like you don't worry about worldly things when you're <laughs> when you're on your deathbed. Jan is not even worried about worldly things. She's worried about the mechanisms to get those worldly things for free if they've already been paid for. I still think that falls under worldly things. I mean, honestly, when when you were talking about this last week with the famous cousin Katie. Uh, and her husband, Ben, it made me think of Danny Kelly's tweet about Pete Carroll on his deathbed, thinking of all the times he went for it. <laughs> I should have punted more. Yes, that's that's Jan. Very similar. Uh, different, but very similar somehow. Jan on her deathbed. Go to Bahama Breeze. <laughs> She also, she was dropping bombs though. She was talking about if she were to tell people in Boulevard Park, it would be like Access Boulevard Park with people. Just like the idea of Access Boulevard Park is too much for me to handle. It's as soon as she did start informing people, she realized that I conservatively five to 10% of King County's population currently or within the past couple of weeks here has had COVID conservatively. So uh, it's not not alas as unique as as she thought it was. Unfortunately, with Omicron continuing to spread, hopefully we've reached the peak here, and uh, we'll start seeing those numbers heading downward when we get the uh, the latest update on Tuesday. But uh, certainly, certainly a lot of a lot of transmission occurring at this point. So hope everyone stays safe and, and stays healthy. So let's get to the Seahawks. Uh, the report on Monday night from Bob Condota and Adam Jude of the Seattle Times that it's not only Ken Norton Jr.'s defensive coordinator that they'll be parting ways with, but also defensive passing game coordinator Andre Curtis. Obviously, the headline is Norton, who spent four years as defensive coordinator after his previous stint as linebacker coach from 2010 through 2014, having followed Pete Carroll from USC, his coaching staff there. During his four seasons, Seahawks never finished better than 16th in defensive DBOA. But I think one of the interesting aspects of this, and you know, I don't know how much detail we'll get about Pete Carroll from Pete Carroll about his reasoning, is that there was the ongoing debate all throughout the season, or particularly the second half of the season, how good is this defense because of the fact that they rated quite well in terms of points allowed thanks to their red zone defense and the starting position but because of the fact that they forced few turnovers and allowed so many yards per play, they were really weak by the advanced metrics in particular DVOA. So I don't know if this is Pete Carroll's answer that he does think the defense was an issue last season or whether it's more of, because of the fact that the defense is always going to be Pete Carroll's philosophy, you know, more of an execution element that he is unhappy with and wants to make a change. Yep, that, that was my take. And there, there you are, you laid it out, which was 
I, I mean, I guess to me, the thing is that it seems like I'll give Pete Carroll credit here. He was not completely resting on his laurels and saying scoring wise, this defense looked like a pretty, like a, a top 10 defense. He actually recognized that they weren't doing what they should be doing as a defense. And ultimately like ranking, I think they finished 21st. They did get better throughout the season. It, it wasn't like they stayed at that same level and just weren't allowing points. They did improve throughout the year. You right. know, I think they, they were near the like extreme bottom half of the league and moved up to 21st. I don't know if that's impressive necessarily, but there, there is a factor to that at the same time. Ultimately, I know this isn't a fun take. I just don't think it matters. I, I don't think who the defensive coordinator is of this team is really a big deal at all. And we saw this with Waldron and what, what changed fundamentally with this offense. Anything? There was some at-snap motion. The Colts game? Yeah, but Brian Schottenheimer ran some at-snap motion. You know, uh, like Very little. The Seahawks were near the bottom of the league, and they were at least in the upper third, I think, this year. Were they? I think so. Of at-snap motion, are you sure? Or are you just judging the Colts game? <laughs> teams don't run that much at-snap motion. No, teams teams do not do not run enough at-snap motion. But ultimately, and then you see the names that were coming out, and you're thinking to yourself, for me at least, some of the best defenses seem to be run by ex-head coaches who've been fired because they're defensive head coaches, and that's what happens to defensive head coaches, or because coaches, hashtag coaches don't matter. Those defense, those coaches are probably qualified to run a defense like this. You know, the names, you see the names that are out there, right? Who are fired at the end of the season. You're like, Brian Flores is probably going to get another head coaching job. Vic Fangio, probably not going to get another head coaching job. Mike Zimmer, probably not going to get another head coaching job. Like, wouldn't it be so exciting to see a veteran name like that alongside Pete Carroll to craft this defense together? Yeah. And then you see the names that, that are coming out. And it feels as though these are not Vic Fangio and Mike Zimmer, right? This is not Pete Carroll looking to push anything with regards to the defense. This is Pete Carroll just changing who's in charge. Yeah, so those names that were reported in the Seattle Times report were, number one, an internal promotion for Clint Hurt, who has been the team's assistant head coach and defensive line coach for several years is an internal promotion. And then in terms of outsiders, longtime NFL assistant Ed Donatel, who spent one season, the ill-fated 2008 last year under Tyrone Willingham as defensive coordinator at UW, uh, quote, on the short list, according to the story, Donatel worked with Carroll as part of the New York Jets staff from 1990 through 94. And then also his first coaching job at the University of Paci the Pacific, where uh, Carroll was defensive coordinator at his alma mater. Most recently, Donatel was defensive coordinator under Fangio in Denver, the last three seasons. I mean, you know, to an extent, now, now these may not be the full extent of the list. We, we haven't seen all of it. These are just names that are on the list, but yeah, I mean, you're only going to come here for that kind of, you know, if you have been a head coach or have that kind of defensive quarter pedigree, if you're going to get a chance to put your philosophy in play entirely at the defensive end of the field and, if that's not even happening offensively with Pete Carroll, who doesn't have an offensive background, I think we can be awfully confident that it's not happening at the defensive end of the field where he has written extensively about his philosophy and his teams have, you know, there's been an evolution. There's been a shift scheme. They aren't as cover three, you know, exclusive as they used to be, but still that is the goal of what they want to do. 
And, you know, look, Ed Donatel coached under, like, I could see the positives, right, of somebody like that coached under Vic, Vic Fangio in Denver. But this is not a drastic change whatsoever. And I really th- been thinking about this. I, I don't know. I don't know if the Seahawks could have run a different scheme and gotten better results. I don't know if a better scheme exists in the NFL. I think this is kind of it. Defenses, the success of defenses is much more largely based on the personnel of that defense than on the scheme. I think both offense and defense personnel was the biggest factor, right? But on offense, with the personnel that you have, you have the ability to influence what the defense is doing. Defense is always going to be reactionary. And I'm just not convinced that with this personnel, that the, C- that the Seahawks defense could have been that much better. Even with, I, I don't even know, it's hard to objectively say who the best defensive coordinator in the league is, but like, let's say that you have the best defensive coordinator in the league. Are they better than the 15th best defense? Probably not. When, when you look at these corners, who they were playing, when you look at the secondary, when you look at Jamal Adams having been out, maybe there's coaches who can utilize Jamal Adams a little bit better, possibly. But you don't say that there's a lot of high-end talent on that defense, especially at the end of the year. So I'm just not convinced that it's going to make a difference. It's fine to make a change for making a change's sake. But for Ken Norton, he was the defensive coordinator in Pete Carroll's scheme with subpar talent. And that's it. That's the reality of it. They finished 21st in defense. Seems like he probably got the most out of them that he possibly could. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that anything is going to change from here unless they go out this offseason and spend a significant amount of money on defense, which is a possibility because there will be money to spend in free agency. And, you know, the defense could look different because of that. But with the personnel about the same as they are, the defense will fare about the same as it is. And if the defense is better, it'll be because of randomness and luck. And that's kind of it. I know it's not a fun take, but like, acting as if a defensive coordinator change is going to radically change this defense and that they're going to influence a radical change of this defense, I think is not fair to Ken Norton or to the next defensive coordinator. Agreed. I think it's wish casting. It's similar to what I talked about last week in terms of in our uh, offseason preview with Ben Baldwin in terms of personnel, like, oh, all the bad moves or Pete Carroll's influence, but all the good moves are John Schneider. Like, no, probably not. It's probably a little of both and you can't really separate it out. And I feel the same way about the defensive side of the football. I mean, we did see this with Chris Richard. Pete Carroll felt that was the right time to make a change in 2017. They had dropped uh, that season to 13th in defensive DVOA after being in the top five every year from 2012 through 2016 you know, the heart of the Legion of Boomera. They still had a healthy Earl Thomas in 2017. Uh, Richard Sherman, that was the year that he was injured, I believe, midway through the season. But 13th that got Chris Richard fired was better than they have managed in any of the four years since then. So that change did not matter. And I'm not sure this one will either. Yeah. And, and you look at some of the teams who are at the top, they've invested heavily in defensive players. You know, Buffalo has used tons of draft picks on defensive players, has defensive stars, spent a bunch of money there. Dallas, like Dan Quinn gets so much credit and now is a head coaching candidate, but also he had Micah Parsons, who was a beast this year, right? New Orleans has invested heavily over the, and built up this defense. New England spent a ton of money over the offseason. LA Rams have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey have paid tons on defense. Arizona, Chandler Jones, you know, you could just kind of go through it. San Francisco drafted Nick Bosa with the second pick in the draft. Like all the way down these teams and not that the Seahawks haven't necessarily invested in defense, 
because they have traded two first round picks for Jamal Adams. I mean, Jamal Adams is supposed to be this player for them, whether it's possible for any safety to be this player is unclear, but certainly Jamal Adams this season was not that player. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other interesting piece of this is the Andre Curtis element uh, is defensive passing game coordinator. You'll recall that it was Curtis who missed the Vikings game and Afterwards, you know, the, the secondary players indicated that his absence was a factor in them not communicating as well and, you know, it, on the field and, and adjusting to what the Vikings were doing as Kirk Cousins completely picked apart the Seahawks secondary in that one. One of the last appearances for Trey Flowers before the Seahawks started making changes at cornerback. I, I'm not sure what that that element of this decision tells us about it, but it does, again, seem to me to get back to that, you know, how well are you getting the calls to the players, how are you executing the philosophy of the defense rather than the philosophy of the defense itself is the concern. I, th- I, I think it's just personnel and randomness. I'm sorry. That's what I think defense is. And the Seahawks don't have the personnel right now, whether they've, whether they've invested in the personnel, it's not there. And the big plays didn't happen. And that's kind of the randomness piece, you know, piece of it. That's the, that's the luck aspect and that's kind of what defense comes down to, you know, like more or less the best defenses are people are giving up some passes. You're trying to stay in front of everything. And if that happens and you get turnovers, great. And if it happens and you give up a ton of yards and you don't get turnovers, then you're going to look a lot like the Seahawks looked this year. So I, I think it's hard to imagine a significant change unless there is a significant change in the personnel, which there might be, you know, I, I don't think that that's unheard of. And beyond that, it's kind of just like, I, I don't think we look at this change and say, oh, well, now the defense is going to be better next year. I don't think you could scapegoat Ken Norton for this. Oh, that has not stopped a lot of people. Uh, for scapegoating Ken Norton. Stopped. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if you could scapegoat Pete Carroll, though. Like when you take, we're, the who are the, last year, there were two defensive coaches hired, right? There was Brandon, Brandon Staley. Staley, and there was Robert Sala. Where do you think those defenses ranked this year? Well, I know the Chargers were not very good, and I assume the Jets were, were not very good either. Dead last for the Jets. For the Chargers, 26. Yeah. So, like, I, that, that shows me that scheme does not matter. The Niners still looked about the same as they were without Robert Sala. The Rams, maybe they regressed a little bit, but they also lost significant talent. They were still a top five defense yep. without Brandon Staley. So the coordinator does not fucking matter. I'm sorry. It's a compelling argument. Should I we mean, talk about that's a sample size of two? I'm not I'm not saying that that's yeah, but that's no, permanently it, the case, but like it's it's two that both went, you know, were dramatic examples of nothing changing with a coordinator leaving and going somewhere else. And I think you can look at Dan Quinn's teams in Atlanta. Like Dan Quinn gets to Dallas. All of a sudden the defense is good when they draft. Did Micah Parsons win the rookie of the year? Defense rookie of the year? Uh, I don't believe that award has been handed out yet, but likely I'm, I'm certain will he will. The defensive rookie of the year. Like once he has good talent, all of a sudden the defense is good. In Atlanta, those defenses were awful for years under Dan Quinn. Yep. Right? Like I, I just... Thinking that you can scheme for the, I, I understand trying to make the most of these small moves, but like Brandon Stanley, you look at that Chargers defense, you look at how they ended the season because his defense couldn't get one stop, right? 
if they are able to stop Josh Jacobs, the Chargers are in the playoffs. And we might have a radically different looking playoffs if that one play happens. But like Brandon Staley's defense could get that stop. He was the defensive coordinator of the Rams. He's the one who's benefiting because he had Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. And I think Brandon Staley had a progressive uh, perspective, but like it's, it's all about, were you lucky enough to be the defensive coordinator who had Aaron Donald? Great. Here's a promotion in the same way that the ZX Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley got hired away. The two, the coordinators under Pete Carroll, right? You have Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, both became head coaches, had some of the best collected defensive talent of almost any team for the last two decades. The coordinators after that, as the defense aged, the Legion of Boom slowly left away, the, Bobby Wagner got older, both fired. Like, I, yep. I don't believe that that is a coincidence. If Chris Richard was the fucking defensive coordinator at the same time that Gus Bradley was, he would have been a head coach also. And Ken Norton would have been a head coach also. So it, it's it's this is more of a conversation about like, who becomes head coaches even, right? It's so much about people get credit based upon the situation. You know, it's it's a lot easier to be an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator in a situation where you have very, very good talent. And I think that people have a really hard time evaluating coaches outside of the talent that they have. For sure. It's like Dan fucking Quinn is going to be the coach of the Broncos. Still, still maybe time for him to be the coach of the Seahawks. We'll see. Uh, to close the conversation on two things. Uh, number one, Micah Parsons. No, they've not handed that out, but he was first team all pro, which seems like it's very first good. team all yeah. pro. Seems like wow. a good side for his chances. <laughs> and second off, the Seahawks went, they were 12th last season in ad stat motion, according to my ESPN colleague Seth Walder. Uh, or, or sorry, 14th last season. His update is of late November this season, was they had moved up to 12th. So that that two spots. You could pick Sean, Shane Waldron for that. Oh, yeah. Wait, so they went from 14th to 12th? <laughs> yes. From shoddy to Shane Waldron? Yes. It's not... Uh, okay. <laughs> Should we talk about the other report this weekend, which was from the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport? Well, I just, I just want to say one more thing about Ken Norton. And, okay. and I, think, I think it's an unfortunate situation because I don't think that Ken Norton is any better or any worse than his other coaches. Seemed like a great person seemed like the players really liked Ken Norton and was consistent and steady there as defensive coordinator running Pete Carroll's scheme. And I mean, this is, this is a big thing for Pete Carroll from that standpoint. I mean, you know, Chris Richard had played for him and coached for him before getting fired, but Ken Norton Jr. has been with him. I don't know if it was the entire way at USC, but you know, certainly not the entire way, but a significant portion of his time at USC, almost his entire time in Seattle, other than the brief, stint that he had as a uh, defensive coordinator of the, the then Oakland Raiders. But, you know, to, to fire someone who's been with you that long is definitely a, a pretty serious decision. I, I hope that he ends up with a solid job after this, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. It'll probably be moving down to a position coach and then hopefully back up to defensive coordinator at some point. And should he align himself with the rookie <laughs> and all pro first team linebacker, maybe he'll be a head coach too. You never know. Uh, so the other report this weekend from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport about Russell Wilson and uh, his future in Seattle and uh, indicating that Wilson sources quotes sources say Wilson wants to explore his options to see what else might be out there for him 
Wilson has not demanded a trade, and it's not clear if he will, but at the least those close to Wilson say he wants to investigate other destinations to see if those would put him in a better position to win another championship and create the legacy he sees for himself. I, I've given all takes, but I have no take on this. I, <laughs> I don't... I mean, yeah, I don't think this meaningfully changes my prior on this, which is that it's it's certainly possible that Russell Wilson demands a trade. And it's possible that if that happens, he does get traded, but that that's not the likely scenario. This is like all takes Russell Wilson, right? <laughs> it, it sort of is. I mean, what, you know, what's interesting about this, the specific verbiage of this report, and we'll see, you know, what further reports we continue to get as this goes on, whether the, there are ones from, you know, reporters who typically have been more closely aligned with Russell Wilson's camp, let's say is that it doesn't say that he's going to go to Jody Allen and ask for anything. It's about exploring the other situations, which that is, I think, the most interesting aspect of this to me. I, I, I don't know. I, I think he is welcome to explore those situations. If he's like, I want to be traded to a New Orleans, is the team going to trade him to New Orleans? I mean, not if there are better other offers out there out there which they're presumably i mean then you know then that gets into his no trade clause but that's that's sort of their leverage in this situation and you know just because the best situation for him does not necessarily necessarily align with the best return for the seahawks i mean we'll we'll see who ends up being hired by the giants as head coach (laughs) i don't think it's gonna be sean payton (laughs) But that, that's kind of where it stands is like the, the better situations that are out there don't really have the capital to go out and make an offer that I think would compel the Seahawks to trade Russell Wilson. Yep. No, I agreed with that, which is so, one of the I, I also, holdups in this whole thing. <clears throat> I, I could see if there was a situation where the Saints had or the Broncos or whatever had phenomenal, had the Giants assets or the Jets assets or something like that. I mean, the Broncos, I think, could make a more compelling trade offer than the Saints could, especially if they were willing to part with one of their young players. Who? Patrick Sertan Jr.? I guess so. I, th- it would be fairly unprecedented, though. Yeah. I mean, a quarter of you've mentioned before, a quarterback getting traded at Russell Wilson's stage of his career would be unprecedented. Yes. So <laughs> the return should probably be unprecedented as well. You're saying it would be like Patrick Sertan plus three firsts or something like that. I, I I don't I would not expect that to be the offer from the Denver Broncos. No. And then is Denver a better option, right? You have Denver with. Like, I mean, they have a pretty good group of receiver, young receivers there. Yeah, they do. People I, people are very high on their receivers. I would stack up any day the Seahawks receivers vis-a-vis the Broncos receivers. I, I pretty agree. good group. Where let's let's go to the old DVOA and see about these Broncos receivers. Well, I think the point is that they you know got good results out of Teddy Bridgewater, certainly better than we saw in Carolina, and that that can be attributable. And also they had significant injuries at wide receiver this year, didn't they? I mean Tim Patrick is easily the best of the young receivers. He's 20th in DR, 16th in DVOA, so that's pretty nice. I mean, I think Cortland Sutton is is regarded as the best of these receivers. Yeah, those people haven't played fantasy football. Cortland Sutton, 35th in DR, 41st in DVOA. 
these these are the kind of receivers that Doug Baldwin might label as pedestrian. Jerry Judy, 64th. I think the lesson was that from Doug Baldwin was to not label receivers as pedestrian. I know. know. I'm just saying, like, that receiving core in Denver is a receiving core he could find basically anywhere. We're not talking at the fucking Buccaneers, the Bengals type receiving core, Cooper Cup or something like that. No, it is not that. There's also the question of, you know, if you were in a more desirable market, what receivers or in a situation with more cap space, what receivers could you lure to play there? Say free agent Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, at, oh, should we talk about Russell Wilson's appearance on the Manning cast? Yeah, I, di- I didn't watch it. Can you summarize for me? He did not demand a trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably would have seen that on Twitter if he did. I mean, the most- I just would have loved for him to have done it in that situation. <laughs> feel like he would do it on his podcast he wouldn't he wouldn't give the manning guest that much that much free pub uh the most notable thing i think there was only really two notable things he said i think unfortunately he was not on for an exciting game like the end of that week one raiders ravens game that he did uh he kept like willing the cardinals to get back into the game and tell you out like you know if i was on the sidelines i'd be telling everybody that we can still do this we can still do this. they couldn't do it uh, <laughs> he said he was quite sick to his, sick to my stomach watching the playoff games this weekend to not be there and that he had to go during timeouts and uh play his youngest son win in uh papa shot so that he could get some competition and oh presumably get a win so good Wow, oh, the stars are just like us. It's like when you're watching the NBA playoffs and you're just like, I need to go play basketball right now. <laughs> it was exactly like that. You're usually not like, oh, I should be there. I beat the Cardinals last weekend. I could that's the way that's the, the way I felt watching these teams in the playoffs. Maybe not I personally, but the Seahawks should have been in the playoffs. You can't tell me NCAA tournament style, if you're picking the best teams, that fucking Cardinals team is not in the playoffs. Like, I think the Cardinals are probably in the playoffs, given their resume. The Eagles, eh, a little more dicey. The, the Seahawks objectively were better than at least two of the playoff teams this year. Oh, at least three. Who's the third one? Well, I don't know which ones you're counting. In the, I'm in talking the, in the NFC. NFC. I'm oh, not counting. I'm, okay, no, we're you not know, I would agree with that. Steelers. Well, the 49ers, they'll beat any time, any place. Exactly. Bring it on. <laughs> They'll beat now, anytime, any place. Now, the other thing he said was about Cup, the combination of Cup and Odell Beckham Jr., that it, quote, reminds me of DK and Tyler, which I thought was interesting, yeah. especially because Odell Beckham Jr. is not actually their number two receiver. Like, he's playing that role right now, but it's actually Robert Woods. He just happens to be hurt. So it, it, Russell Wilson's fondness for Odell Beckham Jr. continues to be clear. But you can understand... Like, again, we talked about this last week. The tandem of DK and Tyler Lockett is in, you know, Cooper Cup is so good that he probably personally dwarfs both of the Seahawks receivers. But, like, we're not talking about Tim fucking Patrick here. If Tim Patrick is on there, if he's watching a Broncos game, which they didn't make the playoffs, he's not talking about Tim Patrick reminds him. Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton reminds him of DK and Tyler Lockett. We're talking about the best receiver in the entire NFL, plus Odell Beckham, who had a great game. Made a lot, has been a major threat in the red zone. That is for certain. Okay, well, we'll continue to monitor the situation. Hope to uh, <laughs> have a guest on next week to talk more about the Seahawks offseason, possibly the Russell Wilson situation. So uh, look forward to that. But now let's get to our usual rundown. 
starting with our long delayed toasts. First up, congrats to Jordan Eberle, named the Kraken's first and thus far only all-star. Eberle will play for the Pacific Division under the current NHL all-star format, which pits the four divisions against each other in, uh, in competitions, and they end up with two of them facing off to, to win the, the all-star game as opposed to the two conferences. Can I, I don't feel like I was finished talking about Russell Wilson for a second, though. I wanted to come back to that. Okay, I thought you were. Yeah, congrats to Jordan Everly <laughs> on being the Kraken's all-star. Anyway, I, I think how we were feeling at the end of the season, it's interesting. I think you could kind of feel how Russell Wilson is feeling throughout the playoffs. And it, like you think of the regular season, it's like, cool, this has a bow on it now. The Seahawks regular season is done. But the season continues for everybody else and not everybody else, but for many other teams and Russell Wilson is seeing that. And I think having been there, having been to the championship game, having been to Super Bowls, like it's not like Kyler Murray or somebody like that. Who's just like, cool. Wow. I made the playoffs, right? Russell Wilson has been in those moments and he can visualize himself playing in those moments when he sees the Packers playing in the NFC championship game or whatever. Right. When he sees Antonio Brown playing in the Super Bowl, playing the NFC championship game, I think he feels that a lot more than a lot of other people do. And when he talks about being sick to his stomach, that he wasn't there this weekend, I think Russell Wilson's mood changes. Right. So at the very end of the season, when you're in that moment and you've just crushed the Lions and you've just beaten the Cardinals, the playoff bound Cardinals, things are feeling great. Then the next week, they feel a little bit worse. The next week, they feel a little bit worse. The more that you see Odo Beckham and you think to yourself, well, we tried to get him and he chose to go somewhere else. Right. Like, why am I not trying to go somewhere else? I do think that Russell Wilson's mood seems to change throughout in the same way that we saw Aaron Rodgers. Like part of his concern was the fourth down play, right? For the Packers, the NFC championship game last year. Yeah. So like these things evolve. It's not just the regular season ended. Pete and John had their meeting with Jody. We're good. We're moving on. I think this is an evolving situation and we're at, we are at, phase one of uh, 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 of the Seahawks cinematic universe right now. Like this is, this is just happening, right? The Tesseract is there or whatever, <laughs> but like, this is, this is me having watched two of the Marvel films in order. Are there, uh, are there different movies that are like interlocking in the Seahawks cinematic universe? Yeah. They're all interlocking. Odell Beckham weaves in and out of them. Right. All right that's fair. Right. The, there's a there's a post credit scene with Odell Beckham in it. And, and <laughs> so I, I think that Russell Wilson's mood by the time we get to the Super Bowl or someplace like that, Russell Wilson's mood and fondness for the Seahawks. He didn't just spend he's away from the team right now. He's not in a locker room with those players thinking, wow, I fucking love playing with these players. He spent a month and a half away from them at that point. Your mood does tend to change over that time period. So I'm saying I, I still feel fairly confident in the idea that Russell Wilson will be back next year. I think Russell Wilson's happiness can decrease over that time, though. By the way, what you, we have not mentioned while talking about this Rams-Cardinals game. Matthew Stafford, are? No, God. 13 of 17, 202 yards, two touchdowns, 82.6 QBR. Uh, the highest yards per attempt for Jared Goff in a playoff game. Do you want to guess what it was? What? 8.2 in last year's win in Seattle was his highest yards wow. per attempt. He only threw 19 passes in that one. They mo- mostly won that on the ground and defensively. 
he did, of course, throw for more yards in a game. He threw for 297 in the NFC Championship game against the Saints in on 40 attempts is compared. To, that was actually his second highest yards per attempt at 7.4. Matt Stafford wins his first ever playoff game, and you're out here comparing him to somebody who's played in the Super Bowl. It was one of the NFC Championship lap. That's what I'm doing. Congrats. We'll, so Jordan, we'll see whether you're, in, the same, in the same way. I was thinking about this too, where it's like, if the, it's just done, man, the playoffs, they're, they're really brutal. Like it's just over, right? The Cardinals, they made the playoffs. They feel great. Finished. Yeah. And I, and I was wondering, like, obviously it would have been better for the Seahawks to have made the playoffs, but the, it is a, it's a rough ending to lose in that situation where it's like, all right, you're going home. Everybody except one team ends the season on a loss if you make the playoffs. And it's not usually like there are some times where, you know, I don't think there's any team this year that like they lost, but they're feeling good about things. Not in, not in this year's first round. Cause everyone either got blown out or was the Cowboys. So, but usually it's not like, okay, you're going to lose and still feel great about things like the Atlanta game in 2012. Usually it's like your weaknesses are going to get exposed and you're going to like think negatively about your team because of the fact you've come up against better competition than you've played most of the season. In the same way that you talked about, you're betting the over on the chargers next year. Is that, that was the team, right? That is correct. Uh, Yes, I think so. I'm betting the Cardinals under next year. Okay. I like I probably with you on that one. That team the team they don't look good. And who knows, maybe it's just DeAndre Hopkins was hurt and DeAndre Hopkins will be back next year and healthy and that'll radically change things, but man. I the the play viewing the playoffs when you don't have wow, DeAndre Hopkins is only 29. Good god. I thought he was like 32 or something like that. What Bill O'Brien, what are you doing? <laughs> Bill traded, O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins at like 27 years old. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Now I'm sad about that. Ruined a franchise. Think about how sad you'd be if you were a Houston Texans fan. Ugh. So, anyways, the NHL All-Star game. <laughs> We'll be coming up February 5th at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Our other toast this week, congrats to Bobby Wagner, named AP All-Pro second team linebacker. It's the eighth consecutive All-Pro nod for Wagner, who previously made the second team in 2015 and has six first-team picks to his credit. I don't know if we really have any additional feedback on our search for Seattle's most Seattle person, but pleased to announce that the nomination form now is live. Hello. You want to submit someone, including potentially yourself that you think is Seattle's most Seattle person. That link is on the post notes on Sonic central. I'll be tweeting it as well. Of course, probably putting on Instagram so that we can start accumulating those. I think we're going to put a deadline of the end of January on your nominations. Okay. And, and again, the, the search for Seattle's most Seattle person, this is a very open thing. What it means to be Seattle. Very difficult to define. But that, that's, the, that's the thing. If it was easy to define, you could easily choose who the person was, right? There's all sorts of things that make people Seattle, and I'm excited to hear about all of them. I might even nominate some people myself. Oh, intriguing. Are you going to nominate yourself? 
No, no, no. We're You're not, not eligible. Your cross. You, you and I are not eligible. <laughs> oh, good. Good to know. But that doesn't mean that Chris Smith isn't eligible or somebody like that, mm-hmm. right? Does he have a 206 tattooed on him? Probably. No, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely bonus points. He has the Smith Tower tattooed on him. I know that for sure. (laughs) That is true. That is a Seattle landmark. I assume we have no coaches corner this week because practice was canceled last week and has not yet happened this week. Did I mention that last week that practice was canceled on the podcast? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then in true uh, 2022 coaching fashion, that practice was canceled due to a COVID close contact. Yes. At, uh, unfortunately, all too relatable. My coach's corner update, though, is that Cheesecake Factory, top notch. <laughs> Wait, what? You got to use those gift cards. <laughs> I don't know that falls under coach's corner, though. It seems like Seattle Portland food update. The only other thing I have in there is to bring people's attention to the upcoming on thursday is going to be the return of let's see what do they so it's it's our friends at uh tio babies which operates out of rose temple bar we talked about that in december and then chachi's also our friends we talked about them october i want to say that they're doing a part two of their taco bell collaboration i forget what sporty event the first one was against but it was there was something that made it impossible but this thursday at rose temple bar they're doing their version, their their root, like quality, you know, dining version of Taco Bell food, and uh, we got to make this happen this time. Oh yeah, so, this is it starts Thursday or it's just on just Thursday. Thursday, just Thursday night. So they're gonna have okay. the Mexican pizza. They're gonna have Which the crunch you can't wrap, get at, or is this maybe coming back to Taco Bell? I think maybe so. Yes. Okay. Where where can I find this info? To Baby's Instagram. Yep. At T.O. Babies on Instagram. Okay. T.O. like uncle? Yep. Babies. B-A-B-Y-S. Yep. Wow. I'm going to smash a follow right there. I mean, Pelton Cast is already following. Yeah, obviously. That's how I'm aware of this information. Okay. So we got a crunch wrap type type situation. Yeah. The last one, what they did was the uh, crunch wrap, the cheesy gordita crunch, the Belgrande nachos, and the nacho cheese chalupa. So... You know, some of those may be changing up this time, but that was the last time they did it back in October. All right. I'm, I'm down. I'm game. I've never once had a Taco Bell Mexican pizza before. I don't think I have either. I'm kind of anti-Crunchwrap. You know, I don't know if I've ever had the Taco Bell Crunchwrap. I think I've only had the little Woody's Crunchwrap. <laughs> and they put a burger patty in there. It was just still good. Don't get me wrong. All right, let's get to the rest of the Seattle sports rundown, starting with the Kraken, who uh, snapped a nine-game losing streak and got their first win since December 14th on Monday, beating the Chicago Blackhawks 2-0 in a shootout in their matinee uh, for MLK Day at Climate Pledge Arena, coming back from deficits of 1-0 and 2-1, and really had the better of play in overtime, held the puck most of that five-minute period, but neither team scored. Their shootout win followed the a miss on their first penalty shot in franchise history awarded during the third period. Uh, so that snapped a, the losing streak that had extended with a 5-2 loss Wednesday at Dallas. Wait, that was 2-1. their first ever penalty shot? 
you don't get penalty shots very often. What do you have to do to get a penalty shot in hockey? It's like, basically, it's like in soccer. You have to take someone down who has a clear goal scoring opportunity. It's not like in soccer because there's penalties all the time in soccer. True, but in soccer, there's no penalty box. So most of the most penalties in hockey send you to the penalty box. But if it's like a clear breakaway and you get taken down from behind, as was the case in, the, in this particular foul, uh, then that results in a penalty shot. I'm shocked that was their first one. And they missed? Apparently, I think they said on the broadcast that there have been 17 all season wow. in the NHL. So it's not a particularly common thing. Okay. It's not abnormal that they hadn't had one. But they missed the penalty shot, right? In true yes. Kraken fashion, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, penalty shots in hockey are much harder. I'd estimate the odds of converting at like one in three, maybe a little better than that. I would Based estimate on the, the shootouts odds of I've the seen. Kraken converting any first in franchise history successfully oh, is 0. Oh, 0.0. Well, this was their, this I believe was the, this definitely was their first shootout win. I believe it was their, their first, first shootout win, win but it wasn't their first shootout. No, and no, then they won. That. No, no, it was not that. They eventually will do all of these things. <laughs> not the first time. Uh, so they had lost 5-2 last Wednesday at Dallas, 2-1 last Thursday at St. Louis, and 3-1 in the beginning of the six-game homestand Saturday versus Los Angeles. I mean, they've generally been competitive in these games. Uh, the You know, a one-goal one loss at St. Louis. It was a one-goal game against the Kings before they pulled the goalie and gave up an empty netter late in that one. So... They've been competitive. The uh, six-game homestand continues Thursday versus San Jose, Friday versus St. Louis, Sunday versus Florida, and Tuesday versus Nashville. Uh, It was a strong performance Monday by Philip Grubauer in the net. He got the start with Chris Drieger in COVID-19 protocols after starting the previous two games. The Kraken called up Antoine Babot, who's on a two-way contract, as their backup goaltender for Monday's game. Where's Chachi's at? Chachi's uh, is a pop-up. Okay. They operate most frequently, I think, at Belltown Provisions, which is where I went to them back in. Belltown after the Mariners. Provisions? Yeah. Huh. That's a bar. Uh, that's where I, I went there after the Mariners' final game of the season. I'm trying to think if I'd ever been at Belltown Provisions. I had not been there before. I've spent a lot of time in Belltown, but I've never heard of this place. Interesting. It's- it's a little closer to Pike Place, which is where I walked to it from. Well, that's where my new office is. Is it? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. It's like basically in Pike Place. Uh, the Sounders officially signed. No, 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 no. We're not moving on from Chachi's oh. specific oh. request. Okay. Pizza, burgers, burritos? Yeah. No, they're, <laughs> they, they offer great stuff. Hello. Maybe we're due for a Pelton Cast Chef series. No one listened to the Peltoncast Chef series with the that, Nobody listens to the Peltoncast. It's fine. <laughs> Tied. No, uh, the Kraken don't win games, but they keep playing them. That's a, that's a good point. They also get paid a lot to play the games. <laughs> yes, they do. Too much. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's for us, the gift cards. It's Pagliacci gift cards. That's our gift cards that we're going to be looking out for. On our Look, deathbed. <laughs> make sure that your next of kin spend those. <laughs> we did a lot of podcasting for those. 
Sounders officially signed former Real Salt Lake midfielder Albert Rushniak on Thursday, but in a surprise, it came as their third designated player. Sounder at heart had reported that the Sounders were looking at signing Rushniak using targeted allocation money, but his salary came in too high for that. Instead, they'll buy down Joao Paulo's salary using targeted allocation money. That move is possible because of MLS rules change, allowing designated players to change teams as free agents without needing to take a pay cut. Uh, Sounders resumed training for the 2022 season on Friday and manager Brian Schmetzer told reporters the team will likely shift back to the 4-2-3-1 formation he favored before last season instead of using three center backs as they did in 2021. It'll be interesting to see whether that leads to Nuhu shifting back to left back after playing center back last season, which might help explain the departure of Brad Smith, although having depth at center back back, always useful. Yeah, I mean, he, he... took to center back, I think, right quite well, all things considered, but you don't get much of the attacking ability of Nuhu and his his pace on the wings, which is a big part of what makes him such a special player in addition to you know just his sheer size defending the box. Okay, so I saw another report about a Rui Diaz contract. The, these reports appear to be legitimate. Okay, I was going to say, is this another them. April Fool's Day that I don't... Is this the feast of some other baby-killing holiday in the Bible? <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> this this one f- celebrates the time that Isaac uh, was nearly <laughs> sacrificed. No, no, that's not the case. Every time Real Rodriguez has a as a tweet about him signing, a child <laughs> dies in the Bible. Uh, no, I think it was Nico Moreno who reported. Nico Moreno might have had the report about Joao Paulo. I, I may be getting these uh, mixed up, but both Joao Paulo and. Royal Ruiz have reportedly agreed to deals through 2024. So that's still not yet official, but uh, looking good that Ruiz should be part of the squad this season and going forward. Right. So, I mean, you're looking at a, a pretty loaded Sounders front six if you're playing that 4 2 3 1. Ruiz is the lone striker. Your three attacking midfielders are Jordan Morris, probably on the left wing, uh, Nico Ladero centrally if he's healthy, and then Albert Rushnak on the right wing with the chance to slide into the middle when Ladero is out of the lineup. And then you've got uh, Joao Paulo and Christian Roldan is your two defensive midfielders. So that's a, that's a strong group. I mean, that's pretty massive. They're, they are definitely looking stacked heading into this next year, provided health and everything like that. But uh, you know, the Rushnak addition, especially coming in as a designated player, seems like it's going to be a pretty formidable attack. I think so. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, it just gives you that many more options if Ladero is out of the lineup or someone else that, you know, you can shift pieces around a little bit. And, you know, you've still got Leo Chu, who was an interesting, you know, addition for them last season, gave them some good minutes off the bench as a change of pace, someone to really come make exciting attacking runs on the wing. So, you know, there's going to be some options for Schmetzer. Our UW women's basketball returned to action last weekend after their COVID pause, a 63-48 loss Friday at UCLA and a 73-66 loss Sunday at USC. They led the Trojans 55-53 heading to the final quarter on Sunday, but were outscored 20-11 to there. Uh, competitive because of a season-high 26 points and 11-15 of 15 shooting from Nancy Mulkey. Huskies back home this weekend to host the Oregon schools. A bad time to face the Ducks were coming off back-to-back wins over top 10 teams in Eugene. 
They beat number seven at Arizona in overtime on Sunday, followed by a win Monday over number nine, UConn, in a midseason non-conference game. Oregon's still unranked in the latest AP poll prior to Monday's win, having lost four non-conference games to number one, South Carolina, number 23, South Florida in the battle for Atlantis, a shocking home upset by UC Davis and at Kansas State. Most of those losses came without their two leading scorers, Nayara Sabali and Tina Pow Pow, in the lineup since Pow Pow returned on January 2nd. Their only loss was in their Pac-12 opener at number two, Stanford. Uh, then Sunday, the Huskies will be hosting Oregon State, who beat number 22 Colorado on Monday in a postponed game after losing by two to Arizona Thursday in their first game since December 19th. Beavers went seven and three in non-conference with all three losses on neutral courts or on the road. UW men's basketball. Hello. Riding a two-game winning streak, three and two in Pac-12 play after sweeping the Bay Area schools last weekend. A, on Wednesday, it was a 64-55 win over Cal, having trailed by nine in the second half before going on a 17-2 run to take control of the game. Terrell Brown Jr., 21 points. Dejon Davis, seven assists and six steals with a nice all-around game. On Saturday, the Huskies took a 20-point lead over Stanford with a strong first half and coasted to the finish line on empty. They did not score a field goal in the final seven minutes and 55 seconds, yet still managed to make enough free throws and get just enough stops to hold off the Cardinal and run their Pac-12 home winning streak to three games dating back to last February. Three games. How about that? Uh, Brown had 25 in this one. Jamal Bay, 17 for the Huskies. Can you feel the excitement about UW men's basketball? Look, I'm old enough to remember that we used to pay, we used to do percentage chances of victory for Husky men's basketball. That is like, true. We used to pay so much attention to Husky men's basketball. You told me earlier this year that they were below the Kraken for you right now. And they, they have now, they've accelerated the past. There we go. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Straight for the Kraken opposite the Huskies actually winning wow. some conference games. That did the trick. Wow. The curse is real. <laughs> The Kraken are so cursed, they fell below on Kevin Pelton's power rankings. I think we might need to hear the power rankings. The power rankings of Seattle sports teams? Yeah, yeah, your interest in Seattle sports teams. All right, well, the Seahawks are obviously number one. Mm-hmm. UW football is probably number two, despite this season. <laughs> I think the Sounders are probably number three. Um, UW softball might be number four. We're the storm. Oh, the storm are up there too. Yes, that's a good point. The storm are actually number one. They're the only team that I'd like legitimately cover. So they probably are number one. Okay. Uh, so bump everyone down is fine. Okay. And then you'd have men's basketball and then the crack. Wow. And then the Mariners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're obviously lower than the crack. And that goes with that saying. Oh, God. You're the worst. I like at least We're freaking back, baby. all the cracking I telling, games. I was telling Luke earlier today, I hope the season doesn't get delayed because we don't want to wait any longer on this Mariners World Series season. I'm telling you. Well, let me tell you, it's not looking good for spring trading because it's January yeah. 17th and there's been no progress in the negotiations. I've seen the tweets. This is oh, the, the one time I think that I'm going to get into baseball in literally the last like 25 years. There's a fucking strike. No, if you want the good, good news here. What's that? The Mariners season of record happened after a strike was oh. delayed by a strike. If you know what I'm saying. Hello. We might, we might make some statues this year. That's what I'm telling you. Wow. We're talking AL playing game. Watch out. 
watch out. Julio Rodriguez standing in the background, buying the Minnesota Tw- Timberwolves in like 30 years. Come on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You really brought it all, all full circle. Yeah. Pel- Pelton cast uh, sports person of the year, 2045 or whatever. 25%. At <laughs> 25%, it's going to be the listener. <laughs> Uh, As the pandemic rages on for oh, no. <laughs> COVID, uh, COVID thirty nine. We'll, at least we'll have those gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> the we're, we're, the Mariners are sub the Kraken. Wow. Yes. Just wait. Just wait. You're gonna be into it. You're gonna get a Pagliacci pizza and a six pack of Rainier. You're gonna want to be watching those Mariners when it's the Fourth of July and they're leading the AL West. Milka. They signed the American League Cy Young winner this year. They did. We, we'd never heard of him before. <laughs> You're going to be posted up at Kevin Pelton's tap room every single day of the week watching those Mariners. So watch yourself. You're bringing this idea out to the masses. <laughs> I, had, I had an idea for a sign. My in Kevin Pelton's tap room, tap room, just like behind the bar, and it says, "Who the hell is Kevin Pelton?" And that's like a question. It's like the tweet from Jason Richardson, right, from Jay Rich, that says, "Who the hell is?" Ke-? And then it's an explanation of who you are. We just frame the tweet. Yeah, we frame the tweet, but also there's an explanation of who, who ESPN's Kevin Pelton is. No, oh, yeah. it's yeah. informative. Uh, you know, men's basketball. Did you have any takeaways from actually watching them? Uh. They can't shoot. That that is that is accurate. They are shooting thirty one percent from three this season. That's it. Okay, that was the no, only no, no. take what you had. <laughs> I mean, Troll Brown. I I think Troll Brown is is a legitimate. Like I don't I don't think he's going to the NBA or something like that because the aforementioned can't shoot. But I I think if Troll Brown could shoot, he'd be one of the best players in the Pac twelve. He's definitely like. He's it's not quite an old man game necessarily, but he's got a very like refined, crafty game where even though he's undersized, he manages to finish a lot of the time. Is that phone call you got Jan from the grave saying go to Red Robin? No, it's still <laughs> the same same alarm I have said said every time that comes out goes on every week. Okay. Uh <laughs> an old man game. I don't buy it. Troll Brown could finish around the hoop. He he's got an athletic game, he just can't shoot. I, but it's a lot of like mid-range old man maybe isn't correct maybe it's just more old school in that it does not involve shooting threes we know you hate the mid-range we, we read your degrade for demar Derozan or whatever <laughs> but all of a sudden the the huskies are three and two in pac 12 play no, maybe the you're thing... calling them the new bulls <laughs> no the thing about it is the uh huskies... mid-range <laughs> The Huskies still have the worst Ken Palm rating of anyone in the conference at number 143. When They've you not start, moved up as much as you think. that low, it takes time to, to work your way up. But I'm going to ask you a legitimate question. Is there any chance that they've gelled here a little bit, that some, something has happened? Is this team actually playing better? Or are these Pac-12 teams that they're beating just equivalent to the non-Pac-12 opponents that they're playing in non-conference play? I mean, it turns out that actually, like, Wyoming was quite good. They're up to number 61 in Ken Palm after they uh, beat Nevada, a team that beat UW on the road. 
Uh, Wyoming is up to 13 and two. Their only losses are at Arizona and Stanford on a neutral court. So like Wyoming would actually be an upper half pack 12 team at this point. So that loss looks a lot better. Uh, Northern Illinois, not so much Winthrop, eh, Utah Valley, Utah Valley is solid, but still not as good as the teams they've beaten in Pac-12 play. They are playing better, but also, you know, they have a win by six, a win by three. Their loss was by 14. The, it's kind of the classic, like, uh, uh, or sorry, the losses were by 14 and 16, I should say, in Pac-12 play. So it's kind of the classic. They're not as good as they've looked so far. And playing Oregon on the road might be that kind of kind of wake up call. I don't know if okay. Oregon State will. We'll we'll talk about this weekend's game in a second. But but you couldn't say that they've gotten. There was one game where they were lucky with three point luck, right? On the whole, though, they've still shot fairly poorly in those victories from three. I mean, they've also had opponents haven't necessarily shot that well. But yes, I mean the Cal Cal win. They were just like comfortably the better team which Cal was not that good, and they were playing at home. Still, comfortably the better team used to describe University of Washington men's basketball is not something that has been said that often. It's true. Uh, as I mean, of late. they're a competitive team. I do, Like, Ken Palm currently has them projected to finish 7-11 and 11 in the scheduled games they have in Pac-12 play, which would put them, I think, 8th in the conference? Like... Given that some people on this podcast were picking them to go winless, that would be a pretty incredible accomplishment. We're, we're, we, have, we have accelerated out of the... And, and look, I think Minnie, Minnie and uh, uh, the Husky Athletic Department are happy about this. We need to tap into the endless money pit that is there to go hire another head coach. We'll, do we even have a Todd Golden update? Is that his name? Oh, oh we have a Todd Golden update. Yes. Okay, okay. I'm not going to get rid of it that quickly. If things go well enough, we might even forget about Todd Golden. It's possible. Okay, but let's hear about the Oregon schools first. All right, so Oregon State, shocking run last year, won the Pac-12 tournament championship, made the Elite Eight with six consecutive wins. Uh, Then they lost 10 straight this year during November and December. (laughs) including home losses to Samford and again, UC Davis, UC Davis beating a lot of Oregon schools this year in basketball on the road. Now granted, neither of those nearly as bad as UW's home loss to Northern Illinois, but Oregon state then surprised Utah at home for their first PAC 12 win. And it had been competitive since losing by two at home to Oregon. And in, they were in the game at USC, which is pretty impressive. Uh, even compared to the Huskies, very limited shooting. They're number 337 in three-point attempt rate and making 32%. Jared Lucas, their uh, leader offensively, is at 40%. No other Oregon State player has made more than 11 threes all season. Is with the Oregon women's basketball team also a bad time to play the Oregon men, who became the first Pac-12 team ever to beat back-to-back opponents ranked in the top five on the road last weekend. Not, not that many opportunities for that. I know it's a very limited, it's a very, there's a lot of caveats on that stat, but they all lasted UCLA Thursday in overtime before comfortably cruising past USC on Saturday. I think USC was maybe a little bit overrated. Well, neither team is as good as their rankings. If you look at Ken Palm, UCLA is number 13 there. USC is number 25. So wow. the top five is a little bit overstating students, but still to beat the, both of those teams on the road back to back is is quite impressive. And it seems like, you know, Oregon teams under Dana Altman have a long and storied tradition of pretty middling play in the first half of the season and then putting it together in conference play and then winning the conference tournament. 
And it looks like maybe another one after they started seven and six and lost their first two conference games in December. Uh, no bad losses. All their non-conference losses are to opponents in the Ken Palm top 35. And their worst loss was in overtime at home to Arizona state, but also no good non-conference wins. They're still just 51st overall on Ken Palm. Watch out for guard Will Richardson, who was named Pac-12 Player of the Week after combining for 44 points on 14 of 25 shooting against the LA schools. He's shooting 47% from three-point range this season. What day are these games, by the way? So Oregon State will be Thursday night at an an 8.30 p.m. tip-off. We're going to be there eating our fucking T.O. babies Taco Bell, right? Wait, that actually maybe is an idea. I don't know. I'm not going to go watch it there. Oh, okay. I don't know. Are you not aware of these COVID numbers? No, no, at the game. Oh, as you were saying, as you were saying, do it. Go to babies on the way, and then go to the game. As you were saying, I thought they were in Oregon. These are. Oh, you're right. They're on in Oregon. Yes, (laughs) on the way to Corval. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have to. We'd have to leave off early. Damn it! That that would have been fun. Damn it! (laughs) Ah, Sunday. I, I, I we will not not to be a show for the UW athletic department, but it felt like. There were few enough people at the games that you couldn't do it. (laughs) Observe how few people are going to the games. The attendance is so pitiful that I know they're not limiting it to just friends and family, but it feels like just friends and family Uh, are there. It's a little more than that. Uh, Sunday is the Oregon game, which is at 7 p.m. That one's on FS1 nationally televised. Why do they do that? Is there NFL Sunday night? No. Okay. No, it'll be the NFL's 10, over in the afternoon. 10 and okay. 30 will be the start times for the NFL because it's not the super wild card weekend. It's in how fast will these games be over? Super fast. Oh, man. How Did uncompetitive will be they? Super uncompetitive. I've been working through it all weekend. <laughs> that took you three days to workshop. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> our, super uncompetitive. Our Todd Golden update. All right. San Francisco beat Loyola Marymount 97-73 on Thursday, but lost 71-69 to BYU Saturday night. His star Jumare Boye missed a three-pointer at the buzzer, snapping their home winning streak, which dated back to last season. Wow. What year is Jamar Boye? Senior. Oh, he might be, a, he might be a fifth-year senior. No, he's not coming with Todd Golden. <laughs> you're not going to – you're not a hater in this situation. <laughs> I was hoping. I, I heard star and played for Todd Golden. I was like, let's bring him, bring him here. I mean, part of the reason that Todd Golden is going to leave this year, I, I'm very confident, is they're, I think, believe they start three fifth-year seniors. Uh, one of them is only a fourth-year senior, so he might come around. He's actually from Seattle. I did not know that. Really? What's their name? Khalil Shabazz. Oh, that name sounds familiar. I, I did not know that he was from Seattle, though. Where's Cle- what school did Cleo Shabazz go to? Uh, he went to Rainier Beach, previously played at Central. So I may have seen him play back in the day in the Metro League Championships. Went to Central Washington? Yeah. That's where he started his collegiate career. In fact, Are- I think I did watch him. Yeah, now that I think about it. Well, he was on the team. I, I want to say he was on the team with uh, the kid who went to Louisville and then transferred to USC. If we're not talking about like Terrence Williams or whatever, no, no, I do not know about or, or Peyton Siva, right? Like people from Seattle who went Sha- to Louisville. Shaquan Aaron is who I'm thinking. Oh, of. I actually, I actually am familiar with Shaquan Aaron too, at least the name. 
So that's disappointing. The fucking Seattle to Louisville connection in the early 2000s. I'm still pissed about it. Quite remarkable. Ugh. Also, so that was a foul on Earl Clark. <laughs> it was. So a tough loss. Are you actually concerned about Earl Clark? Or are you going back to the 2005 game? Was that not Earl Clark? Who was it? Who, who no, Earl Clark played there much later than 2005, right? Who who was it who fouled Bobby Jones by setting a dangerous screen? Oh boy, I cannot remember this name off the top of my head. I'm going to have to go to Ken Palmer. It was a, it was a dude who played in the NBA. I believe it was Taquan Dean. Okay. I believe it was the only player, the players on the team, Francisco Garcia, I think was the only one who ended up playing in the NBA on that Louisville team. That was the four seeded Louisville team. Yeah. Francisco Garcia was their star. Yeah. They just got much better after that. I mean, and they so were I, very, they were very good. They were number four in the country in Ken Palm, but, but they I, did not have any like, NBA talent. NBA talent that happened, happened after that. And I remember them all playing against UW in that game together. That's correct. Terrence Williams showed up the next year. Earl Clark showed up the year after that in 2006-07. You know, so he was definitely not involved in that 2005 game against UW. I still won't lay him. Let's wrap up with UW football news. The Huskies hired Jamarcus Shepard as their Hello. wide receiver coach with the additional titles of associate head coach and passing game coordinator. Shepard had spent the past five seasons at Purdue, the last four as co-offensive coordinator, previously spent one year on Mike Leach's staff at Washington State and five at Western Kentucky, where he actually predated his predecessor, Junior Adams, uh, played collegiately at DePauw, not, not DePaul, DePauw, <laughs> same as Brad Stevens, uh, per Christian Capel of the <laughs> Athletic Seattle, agreed to a two-year deal worth 650000 annually, a 150000 increase over what Junior Adams was scheduled to make. I mean, pretty incredible pivot here from Kalen DeBoer that they were able to lose Junior Adams to a rival in Oregon, which disrupted the at least wide receivers in the program for a second, and go out and grab somebody who seems like a pretty hot name right now. I know he's only a wide receivers coach, and I know that over time we get more and more granular paying attention to sports, right? This isn't like you care about the head coach and you might know who the coordinators are. We're getting down to like, we feel like the wide receiver coach is an important position, but I mean, if you could have named who the wide receiver coach at UW was in like 2003, I mean, I could have named the wide receiver coach at UW before junior Adams was offensive coordinator. Like I believe, um, Oh, before you couldn't have named Eric Ad or, uh, junior Adams. I believe it was Eric Kiesat was his predis. Pre no, I guess he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bush Hamden might have been his predecessor before he was offensive coordinator. Did oh, he spend well. a year as? Am I remembering that correct? Yeah, that one, I mean that would be would be easy in hindsight. Anyways. Because of all the big Jabron Hamden fans, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seahawks legend Jabron Hamden. Anyway, did he play for the Seahawks? I feel like he was part of a. He was on the training camp right? roster at some point, right? Didn't he get drafted by the Niners? I think so. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of tangents Got, of this. Gotten one. very far from Jamarcus Shepard. Oh, to yeah, he was part of the Seahawks in 2005 and 2006. Oh, wow. That's Super Bowl participant, Jabron Hamden, to you. I mean, he, was, he did not participate. He was actually drafted by the Washington football team in 2003. 
th- this signing to be able to go out and get Jamarcus Shepard, somebody who as a coach has coached a player like Rondell Moore, right. Who's had an impact in the NFL to come back and have that conversation. Somebody who is, I think Rondell Moore probably is more notable even than his performance is necessarily, but like he's a known wide receiver commodity. Jamarcus Shepard is uh, supposedly known as a very good recruiter. And to go into Purdue and to pluck him out of there and bring him back to the West Coast, pretty massive move from Kalen DeBoer here. And somebody in Jamarcus Shepard who seems like he's giving a little bit of insurance. Let's say things go well. Ryan Grubb potentially moves on to take on a head coaching job. I would say it's pretty obvious that he's poised to move up to an offensive coordinator position very, very soon. Yeah, I mean, he had that co-offensive coordinator title, as I mentioned. So I, th- I think he's on the verge of that. And, you know, his his pay is sort of indicating that, that it's pretty considerable for a wide receivers coach. I mean, and the, the school is on the whole saving money from where they were last year, I believe, on coaching, right? Except for the massive amount that they're paying Jimmy Lake to not be the head coach? No, I think they're... I think they're paying more. the The assistant coach pool is higher than it was. Well, Kalen DeBoer is making less than Jimmy Lake was making, right? I don't think that is right. I thought they were making less. Either way, they tapped into the endless, literally endless. There is no end to it. Pool of money, <laughs> and went out and brought in Jamarcus Shepard, but somebody who, one of those coaches who I think, you know. Their role is not necessarily massive, but I think could have a pretty big impact. And we saw that with the amount of wide receivers announcing that they were coming back to the program and a hilarious thing you have to do in 2022, which is <laughs> announce that you're continuing on with the school that you're playing for. But both that and then the announcement that we saw on Friday. Well, Saturday morning was the announcement. Oh, is that, that Saturday we... morning? <laughs> yes. Very early. Roma Dunze was who announced that he planning to return to the UW program or, or stay with the UW program. But uh, the newcomer is Lanyata Alexander Jr. As we mentioned last week, we did not get Haynard. No Haynard. Kennedy Hashtag Catholic product announced on Saturday that he's transferring back home after one year at Arizona State. He'll have four years of remaining eligibility with the Huskies because he only played in two games last season. And Lanyata Alexander, I believe he was a four-star recruit coming out of yep. high school. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Somebody who, I mean, I mean, obviously the natural inclination is if you go out of state, don't end up playing very much, end up coming back home, that feels really natural. That that would be the choice that you would make, especially if there's a school like UW in your hometown. But I do think having Kalen DeBoer, having the staff, I think offensive talent is going to take note. They're going to look at this program and say, this is an offense that's poised to be significantly better. And it's a pitch that Keelan DeBoer can make, that Jamarcus Shepard can make, to say we're going to go out there and we're going to play offense better than we've played offense since at the very least the Jake Browning era and hopefully possibly even beyond then. Like, this is the most offensive-minded staff that we've had at UW in a significant period of time. And to bring somebody in like Lignot Alexander, it's almost like bringing in... It, it, it's even better than bringing in a four-star freshman. It's a four-star freshman who's had a year of experience and who has that connection already with Sam Heward. If Sam Heward is the starting quarterback at some point for UW, you know, I mentioned the like Brock Heward to Dane Looker connection as two Puyallup high school grads. And you look at both of them ended up playing in the NFL, right? Could it be Sam Heward to Lignata Alexander, both in the NFL in five, six years? 
would be pretty exciting to see. I mean, if it did happen, that would be quite exciting to see. I agree. Uh, Matt uh, Lubeck, by the way, was the uh, uh, wide receiver coach at UW prior to Junior Adams. Ne- literally never once heard that name. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I have lost whatever memory I had of Matt Lubeck. Uh, from 247 Sports, Lenyata, or they call him Junior Alexander. That's that's uh, what he, I think, often goes by, yes. It's Lenyata Alexander Jr. He goes as Junior Alexander. 46 wide receiver in the country, uh, seventh in the state of Washington. That's phenomenal for a program like this to bring somebody like that in and a school that maybe there was more wide receiver talent than got the opportunity last year. But you have to, you have to hope and assume that with the combination of Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and Jamarcus Shepard guiding this offense that. And and maybe with the addition of Michael Penix Jr., that's what I was going to say is with one of Michael Penix Jr., Dylan Moore, Sam Heward, whoever is the quarterback for UW. That's a pretty, it's a pretty good competition right now. Yeah. And, and I think assuming that Dylan Morris comes back, which we haven't heard anything otherwise, it's a pretty stiff competition for the quarterback position at UW. For like sure. I, I think across the board, three players who are all have the pedigree and two, two of whom who have the experience you have to look at that, and if you're if you're Pete Carroll, a competition type of person, whoever wins that competition is probably going to have played pretty well in spring football and in training camp. So I think we have to be feeling pretty good about the program right now. The other thing about the Shepard hire, I mean, it would have been awesome if Kirby Moore would have come back and, and been part of the UW staff again, but the fact that Kalen DeBoer hired someone that he has no ostensible relationship with and, you know, kind of went out and got someone who like Notre Dame was looking at as a wide receiver coach. Like he was in the mix for big time jobs and hired him, I think is, is good from a process standpoint, that it's not just people that he's worked with before and, and has relationship with. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm so. excited about it. It kind of reminds me of, you know, it was interesting to see Oregon announce Tosh Lupoy as their defensive coordinator. Tosh Lupoy, who maybe is a good coach, was always known as a great recruiter, especially right. under Coach Sark, who brought him up. Felt like one of those decisions where it's like, this is a big position to give to somebody like Tosh Lupoy. But, you know, Jamarcus Shepard, to go out to pluck somebody from the Big Ten. And even for, for Jamarcus Shepard to recognize it as, as an upgrade, obviously it's a pay upgrade from where he was at. Uh, but to recognize this position as an upgrade, and the place that he wanted to be, I think is pretty important. Yeah. So definitely. I mean, it's easy to feel good about the UW football program in January. We'll see in, in September, but, but uh, like, I, the, I don't, obviously we're not going to feel that much worse in September unless they're losing to fucking Montana. Right. Like you're saying once the well, game they're playing starts, Michigan State in September, it. <laughs> we've got a staff who is experienced in big 10 football. Michael Penix, he's not scared of Michigan State, right? Jamarcus Shepard, he's not scared of Michigan State. I agree. Is we actually have have a, a handful handful of people on the team who have Big Ten experience, which I think is pretty interesting. But I do think that national level is the biggest part of it. Yeah, I I don't think that there's even if they lose to Michigan State, we're not going to feel that differently about UW football. I don't know, maybe we are. Fuck it. <laughs> I'll it's give just, every take. It's just you know, we already know that. Yes. <laughs> Any take, Tristan. 
All takes. All you takes, Tristan. You didn't That's even. Any take. Uh, there's any just so take, many options. Any take is like, I'll just give any random take. That's I don't like that. Any, it's all not. I'm covering them all. You never there actually gave many takes. That you never actually gave your take today, which is that we're bringing everyone back based on beating a Cardinals team that got destroyed by the Rams in the playoffs. This is what everyone is so excited about. That was just in the chat. It didn't feel like there's an appropriate opportunity for it. Okay. Well, it's out there now. I'm, it was, I'm it was implied. Okay. Uh, only... I, no, I'm, I'm not ready. I actually, I actually thought about this take. And I'm still, I, I was not ready to pivot away from it. And you're still, you're still sticking with positivity. I could see the DVOA. Like we could, the number, that, the that was going to be my numbers are still good. Yes. So I don't care if the Cardinals got beaten by the Rams in the playoffs. The the reason that the take exists and that I feel confident about the Seahawks heading into next year is because a the Cardinals are gonna fucking suck next year. Uh, dog, Cliff Kingsbury will not be the head coach of the Cardinals this time next year. Okay, you could lock that in January seventeenth, twenty twenty three. Cliff Kingsbury is fired by the Cardinals, but. There's a lot of question marks that remain. I know the two other huh. NFC. We're, we're doing another calendar from the listener where <laughs> they, they check back in a year. I, I know that there are two NFC West teams both advanced on. And I actually was thinking this was like, it would be kind of fun if those two teams played each other. Seeing Shanahan versus McVay to go to the Super Bowl. Ben, ben has tweeted about that. Yes. It's not going to happen. I mean, there's like the chances of both of them winning because they're both probably fairly steep underdogs in those games. The way that we're feeling about the Rams and the 49ers right now is not the way that we're going to feel about the Rams and the 49ers after this weekend. Probably I think the, the 49ers had a pretty good win. The Rams did not. The Rams won a game that they should have won. <clears throat> Going into oh. Dallas and beating the Cowboys was a pretty good win for the 49ers. But like things get a lot harder when you play the Packers. And I think that makes teams reassess who they are. And you say to yourself, if we run this back, are we ever going to beat that Packers team? Well, that's why you trade for, uh, that's why you trade for Matthew Stafford, right? I mean, how many, how many times can they trade for Matthew Stafford? <laughs> they already did it. Are they going to say, can the Rams honestly say, let's say that they lose to the Buccaneers. Can they honestly say next year is the year? What is going to be different? They'll get Robert Woods back. I mean, it, you know, we'll see w- what happens if if Tampa Bay is the team that goes on to win. But if Green Bay is the team that goes on to win, well, what made this year different than last year? It's basically the same roster. It's just... For who? For Green Bay. Yeah. You mean if they go on to beat the Buccaneers? Yeah, I'm saying just... It was a 50-50 game. Either team could have won it. But that's, what, two that's what I'm saying. I mean, I I'm think saying, if you're the Rams, you say, okay, so we were, uh, you we'll know, always be worse than these two teams. We were an overtime away from having home field advantage over Tampa Bay in the second round. That could have been a very different situation if, if hypothetically they lose. We'll see. Which they haven't I, lost yet. I, I think that there's going to be, <clears throat> I mean, they're probably, they, the Rams basically have to run it back next year because they have no other option. And they'll probably be a good team, but they're still going to be playing a first-place schedule, which they weren't this year, and, and a pretty difficult first-place schedule. And, like, this is assuming... I mean, this, they were playing a second-place schedule. It's not like they went fourth to first. 
Matthew Stafford is not a young quarterback, right? Like Matthew Stafford's health. I'm just saying, if you're if you're good enough to be where they are right now, to be potentially a two seed, you're good enough that things can break right for you next year and you can go to the Super Bowl. They do not need to change things to be good enough to go to the Super Bowl. They're good enough right now to go to the Super Bowl. These windows are very short. They are at best the third best team in the NFC. They're I mean, the third the, best also, team in the NFC, the, and they talking, always lose to the other to the fourth team who's live in the NFC. You're you're talking about the shortness of it. One of the two teams ahead of them has a quarterback who's 44 years old. Matthew Stafford is not Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. I know we need to argue about whether Russell Wilson is in that same the, category. The point I is not that you. whether he is that. The point is that Tampa Bay could fall off at any moment because their 44 year old quarterback might actually play his age. Or might decide to retire. That's not, no way. That's not something I'm willing to bet on at this point. Either, either of those things. By the time Just, you're Tom un, Brady, you're is forgetting done randomness. Football. That's what you're forgetting. You're forgetting because everything before it happens, it seems like it's not going to be random. It's just going to be the Chiefs and the Bucks and the Super Bowl again. But then things actually happen and randomness happens. I think it'll be the, the Chiefs and the Packers in the Super Bowl. <laughs> sure. That too. Hoping for hoping for the Bengals though, but also there's other teams that are going to improve in the NFC. Like, are they markedly better than the Cowboys? Absolutely not. The Cowboys were number one in DVOA. That's what I'm talking about. Randomness. So, like, why is why does randomness benefit the Rams, but it doesn't benefit the Cowboys? It benefits all of them. And your chances, you just have to like, you just have to be put yourself in the position to be good enough to have a chance. That's what you do. I and agree. eventually, if you do that long enough. Things will work out and you'll break through. Eventually, if you do that long enough, Matthew Stafford is 40 years old and Jalen Ramsey isn't good anymore. And Aaron Donald gets hurt for a year and then you're fucking done. And you've given up all of your draft picks and you have no talent left on your roster. And what you did is you spent eight years with Russell Wilson's prime and you what you have to show for it is a bunch of first and second round losses. How much older do you think Matthew Stafford is than Russell Wilson? No, I'm saying like... No, no, honest question here. What do you I think, think the difference is between in age between Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson? I think that Matthew Stafford is. I have no idea how. I think. No, I want I, you to guess. Matthew Stafford is one year older than Russell Wilson. They're the same age. Thirty-four. They're both thirty-three. Both thirty-three. Stafford the didn't just. Stafford trade is two close to thirty-four. The Seahawks didn't just trade two first-round picks for Russell Wilson. You're right. They just traded two first-round picks for a safety who they were better off when he was off the field. That's what they but traded. Their the Seahawks won for. a fucking Super Bowl with Russell Wilson. What? How are you saying this? The Rams have not won anything. They've gotten farther with Jared Goff. There's your randomness. They are. They've extended their window as long as they have. They have Cooper Cup at his abs. This. This is. There will not be a better Cooper Cup season than this Cooper Cup season. This is Yeah, it. he's probably not going to set the record for all-time receiving yards every season. I, I agree with that assessment. Aaron but Donald I think... is probably not going to play as well th- next year as he did this year. Jalen Ramsey is probably not going to play. Like, these players are getting to the other side of their prime eventually, and it's like, you're spending these years with fucking Matthew Stafford. Okay, were well, you better off spending those years with Jared Goff? Is that your position? I don't know. Maybe they should have drafted somebody. Oh, that worked out real well for everyone. Jalen Ramsey is 27, by the way. Quarterbacks fade very quickly. They do. I think he's going to be okay for the next. I mean, they have a two to three year window here is what I'm I'm saying. 
they have a two to three year window where they are probably the fourth best team in the NFC. That's a lot. That's really good. It's really fucking hard to be the one of the four best teams in the conference. You know how many of them there are? There's only four of them. And they often change from year to year. There's 16 teams out there. Where did this argument start at? I wanted to get back there. I've I've lost the thread at this point. I can't remember. God damn it. Uh, I'm just saying, like, the Rams are feeling really good about themselves for beating up on a team that has lost four out of their last five games. Is that right? They, they won a playoff game. Again, oh, only... Oh, wow. what do you fucking do? You know, but the Seahawks win playoff games all the time. No, they don't. They've only won one in the past five years now. They used to win playoff games all real? the time. I'm pretty sure. That Eagles game was their only win in the last five years. I mean, before that, you have to go back to 16, right? Shit. To Matthew Stafford? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they won one in the last five seasons, yeah. <sighs> So, you know, I, I think take it when you get it. I guess so. <clears throat> I mean, I agree. Take it when you can get it. They're doing everything right. Their process is great. Love it all. We're just going to see after this week if there are any NFC West teams live. And I'm highly skeptical that there will be. I mean, I think the odds are better than 50-50 that there is an NFC West team left. Better than 50-50? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to make that bet on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. It's is it a bet? Yeah. Sure. Well, either there will be a, an NFC West team left or not. There won't be. And I think there will be. Okay. So that's the bet. We officially bet. <laughs> we'll put a we'll put a gift card on it. <laughs> we have okay. there. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That all kind of felt like post-episode ending fighting. I wish I could remember where we started because I feel like I had a point to make.